In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes in order to give us joy over being included into the family of God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, about three years ago, in April of 2015, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of the Anglican Communion left his home in South Africa and went to India. He did this for a specific purpose. He did this for the purpose of going to be with his good friend, a Buddhist monk that you may know his title, the Dalai Lama, who is living in India in exile away from Tibet where he normally kind of should be in their, in, in their religion and understanding of the world. And he went there for a specific purpose. He went there for the purpose of, first of all, celebrating the 80th birthday of the Dalai Lama. But then also, they brought along kind of an entourage, and a part of that entourage was a a secular Jewish writer who was supposed to write down everything that they were talking about because what they were going to be talking about for the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday was they were going to have this extended conversation on the subject of joy. And so they got together, they had this extended conversation on the subject of joy... And this Jewish writer wrote down everything that they're saying. So really, in the room, you have a Buddhist monk, you have a secular Jew, and you have an Anglican Christian. And they're talking about joy, and they're talking about what on earth could be the commonalities that everybody shares around that sense of joy, and what joy is, and how do we understand getting joy for ourselves and... Really, at the end of it, how do we foster that joy so that we can have more joy ourselves? Well, it's a book that is all about that idea, and it's a book from two specific people and two specific people from two specific traditions. And as I was reading along in the book, I thought to myself, I probably didn't need to read this book. Because I know kind of what Anglicanism says about joy, and I know kind of what Buddhism says about joy, and I know where those things connect and where they don't connect. And so, when they actually got around to writing the book, I thought, oh, well, this is kind of what I expected it to be. Which is kind of a laundry list of habits and things that you can do in order to foster this sense of joy. And so if you read the book of joy, which is what the book is called, if you read the book of joy, you understand that the way that you get to be joyful is, ironically, by waking up at four in the morning. (laughs) And getting up and praying and meditating and then also enjoying, you know, some little treats here and there. For Bishop Desmond Tutu, it was rum raisin ice cream, which I think is disgusting. That would not cause me any joy. For the Dalai Lama, it was this rice pudding because he's a Buddhist monk. And, you know, rum raisin rice pudding. And a few other things as well into the mix of that. But it it did. It came across like this list of stuff to do. Kind of like the list of stuff in that second reading that, that we had from Paul. 
That reading from Philippians where uh, you, you have this sort of list of things that Paul is encouraging the people to do. And there is something to that. There's something to that sense that there are some things that you can do in this world in order to not block the joy that's in your heart. Because I, I think that that's really where this comes in, is that there are things that we do on a regular basis that block the joy that we would otherwise naturally have. I think that that's why children are so much joyful, so, so much more joyful on the regular is that they just don't have those sort of presuppositions about what it means to be joyful and what they need before they get to be joyful and how they're going to be joyful. There's just joy. And so I think that if we engage ourselves into certain practices, that we spend our time and our energy on those practices so that we're not spending our time and energy on other practices that tend to diminish our joy. But I don't think that those practices in and of themselves cause joy, which is an important difference. And dare I say, I am cocky enough to disagree with the Dalai Lama and an Archbishop of the Anglican Communion that I think that joy comes from someplace else. I think the joy comes from outside of us. I think the joy comes from knowing that I am a baptized child of God. I think the joy comes from knowing that God loves me. I think the joy comes from knowing this God who is above all of creation, who created me as a minuscule portion of that creation so that I can experience his joy, the joy that he has in eternity. And that is the subject of our gospel lesson today. Our gospel lesson that seems, well, a, a little bit feisty for the third Sunday of Advent. This is supposed to be this Sunday of joy and the, the, this Sunday of, you know, you, you expect there just to be kind of happiness all throughout. And there's a little bit of a fight going on here, right? There, there's a little bit of some sort of miscommunication perhaps. And Jesus almost kind of being sarcastic, even though it's not the Gospel of Mark, because we're used to him being sarcastic in Mark. But in Luke, he's much more nice. But here, he's kind of like, okay. So you have John's disciples, and John is in prison. He's in prison because he's speaking out against Herod, and against Herod doing some nasty stuff. And he sends his disciples. He's in prison, and he's asking Jesus... Hey, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Which I don't know if there's subtext there for John, but I think that I would read that in if it were anybody else. You know, I, I think the subtext there with John could be, Hey, are you the one who's coming? Because if you are, get me out of prison! <laughs> or should we wait for another to come and get me out of prison? And Jesus then, he, he doesn't answer the disciples of John right away. You know, I can kind of get the sense of, of the blocking here where, where Jesus hears the question and he goes, that's nice. 
And he turns and he looks at all of these people who he is healing and who he is preaching good news to and who he is bringing great stuff to and all of their rejoicing over receiving their sight back and receiving their hearing and even some people receiving life after death. And he does all of that and then he turns back to them and he's like, go tell John that. And we have our first example of somebody with presuppositions coming to Jesus saying, hey, if I'm going to have joy, it's going to look like this. John coming to Jesus saying, hey, if I'm going to have joy, it's going to look like you getting me out of prison, buddy, cousin. And Jesus going, eh, it's not what joy is going to look like for you. And then... We move on a little bit more in the text. And here we have some people that are kind of arguing about who Jesus is and what what he's all about. And you have this interesting little nursery rhyme, right? Uh, Pretty much everybody's confused about this nursery rhyme. It seems to pop up out of nowhere and you're like, "What, what on earth is that all about? You know, why are they playing a flute for Jesus? And what Jesus is doing, he's using this nursery rhyme, this nursery rhyme that's all about, hey, we did something and you're supposed to behave like we want you to behave. We want to control you. Yeah, we're going to play the flute and you're going to dance, buddy. We're going to play a dirge and you're going to cry. And Jesus is like, that's not how it happens. Because you see, my cousin John, well, he, he came and... He didn't eat bread, he didn't drink wine, he ate locusts, and he ate honey. And you thought that he was Satan. You thought he was crazy man. But you, you didn't go out to see somebody in fine clothing, you, you went out to go see a crazy man, and that's what you got. And you knew that that crazy man was going to usher in somebody. And I'm the person who's being ushered in. And that person who's ushered in is going to be somebody who comes in and messes with your paradigms. I'm going to come in and, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm going to heal the sick and I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to raise the dead and I'm going to Frenchtown. I'm going to give people hearing and then I'm going to go lose my own over at recess. Which, if you don't know, is a bar nightclub here that's really loud. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to mess with your prerequisites to joy. So, what are your prerequisites to joy? What do you need before you're happy? What do you need before you're rejoicing? Do you need it to be Pink Candle Sunday? And Pink Candle Sunday, hey, I'm going to be joyful, but then the rest of my time I'm going to be sort of goth and just down all of the time and not even smile at anyone? Is that what it's going to take? And we all have those kind of prerequisites, you know? I, I, I need this certain kind of job. I need this certain kind of income. I need this certain kind of relationship. I need this certain kind of lifestyle. And once I get that, well then, 
then I'll be happy, then I'll be joyful, then I'll have everything that I need. And Jesus comes into your life and he says, that is garbage compared to what I'm giving you. Because what I'm giving you is eternal life. What I'm giving you is the product of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the tomb. What he is giving little Willow in just a few moments is worth more than the best job you could have. Is worth more than the best paycheck you could get. Is worth more than any relationship you could ever have with anyone Because it's a relationship with God. And by the way, if you're baptized in this room, you already have that. That's why we're celebrating Willow's baptism today. Because it's a great gift. And sure, there will be tough times in our lives. There will be sins and the products of sins that cause suffering in our lives. Things that get in the way of the joy that we should have. But that doesn't mean that the joy isn't there. The joy is its own independent variable. It is there. You will go to heaven. You will be in the resurrection. And no matter what you're dealing with right now, no matter if you're dealing with a broken relationship, no matter if you're not you're dealing with not having enough money, no matter if you're dealing with anything else in the world, that good news of that joy is still there. Don't get in the way of it. Don't let yourself and your own prerequisites get in the way of that joy. Rather, embrace it. There's all sorts of things that are going to get in the way of Willow's experience of that joy. It's going to be her own sins. It's going to be the sins of other people. But that joy is always going to be there for her. And that joy is always there for you. And it's especially there in those moments when times are tough. When you don't have enough of what you want. When you're not connected to whom you want to be connected to. That joy is there. Because Jesus is there. For you. No matter what no matter how you have sinned or no matter how someone has sinned against you, Jesus is there for you. Let this week be a pink candle week for you. Let this week be a week of rejoicing for you. Let this week be a week of remembering that no matter what is going on in your life, there is a light that shines. And that light that shines is a Jesus Christ who died for you to give you eternal life, to give you the forgiveness of sins, and to give you love. Let that be what guides your life this week. So now as you go out from this place, may you celebrate.
the gift of God that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And let that not diminish your joy, but rather let that be your joy. And when things get tough, remember him. Amen.